0: Hi, guys. (laughs) Awesome. Just out of curiosity, I know I've been here several times, I've met most of you before, but has anyone here never heard me speak before at all? Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. Welcome. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Um, So just to catch up those who have maybe not been around as much, because I... Really, uh, I really feel like the Lord is taking us somewhere specific this weekend that I'm excited to go go with you guys on. Um, and uh, for those of you who don't know me, a, a big part of my testimony is that I've been seeing in the Spirit since I was a little kid. And so I've been seeing angels, demons, and other spiritual things um, with my eyes, not so very differently from the way that I see all of you guys. Um, it's a very quick catch-up for some of you, so thank you for not making a run for it. Um, but i i kind of wanted to dive past that a little bit and just get into something i really feel like the the lord is emphasizing in in this season um how many of you? I've so I, I grew up as a church kid and you know a pastor's kid, missionary kid, my, my whole life. Um, how many of you have ever heard some version of this phrase? Um, now this this phrase usually occurs in transition time, like when worship is especially good, and you know, it's, but it's time to transition to the other stuff. You know, <laughs> there's there's uh, uh, some kind of version of this phrase of. Maintain a heart of worship as you find your seats. Anyone heard a phrase like that at some point? Yes? No? Okay. So there's different ways, you know, continue in worship as you find your seats, or please stay connected with the Lord as you find your seat, you know, that, this whole thing. Um, and I, um, I thought I'd like to practice that a little bit, because there's something about God's presence that I... I think it's so important that we don't ever miss out on. A, a couple of years ago, I was, um, I was hanging out with my family and some close friends for, for New Year's, and I, I don't typically, uh, I know a lot of prophetic people will like, get a word for the year or you know something like that, at the beginning of the year, that hadn't been something that I'd experienced very often, but on this particular New Year's, as we were hanging out with uh, family and friends and the clock struck midnight and it was a new year, I immediately heard the Lord say, I have a word for the year for you." I said, okay. And he said, this year is all about the presence. I'm gonna be completely honest in that I thought, that's (laughs) kind (laughs) of (laughs) boring. Because when's it not about the presence, right? You know, it's like, that's, (laughs) it's, it's, you know. And as I was, you know, feeling that, not necessarily expressing that exactly that way (laughs) in that moment, I just heard the Lord uh, correct me and he said, it's not about my presence, it's about you being present with me. I, and it, for me, it it clicked this piece together that had just kind of always been sitting there in my brain of, you know, we think of the Lord's presence, we think of worship, we think of inviting the presence, we use phrases like this that are not not bad, but but it implies that he goes away, <laughs> you know, it implies that that he, he is, at some, time, at some points not present, which I, I do know that he you know, comes in different ways and, and reveals different aspects of his presence and his nature. That's, that's for sure. But in reality, he's always present. And as I was hearing the Lord say this, I realized that, oh, he's always present. But am I always present? <laughs> and it clicked, uh, especially clearly for me, just because I've been reading um, some parenting books, um, since I have five children, I figure I should figure this out at some point. Um, and I, one of, uh, it was a really, really good book on parenting. Um, and, you know, if, if, if anyone's ever read a book on relationships or parenting or any of these things, they're just full of wonderful ideas that seem like so much work. Um, there's so many things. And, um, and, you know, that's like, oh, this was really good, but oh, i got to make sure to say it this way and uh, do all, all, these, all these little things. And one thing I really enjoyed about this particular parenting book is it said all these tools are super useful. All these tools will help you, you know, raise your kids well, maintain an a, you know, a, a intimate connection with your children as they grow. But if there's only one thing that you could do, if there's just one thing you could focus on, it would be to be present with your children when you're around them. And again, to just simply explain this as like, I'm aware of who you are, what you're doing, and what you care about. Like, I'm just aware of you. And so because I just read that book, it clicked in a different way of, you're always present, Lord, but am I always present with you? Am I aware of what you're doing, what you're thinking about, and what matters to you? And so I wanted to, at the beginning of this, this might be a little bit awkward for some of you, I just wanted to Exercise that a little bit. I want to practice maintaining a heart of worship. So, if you would uh, indulge me just a little bit and just stand back up real quick, I'm not going to make you do anything too crazy. Um, but again, I you know we all have a different background in history. Just just out of curiosity, how many of you w- would say that more or less you grew up in the church to some extent? Put a hand up high in the air. Okay, 50-ish percent. And so. Sometimes again I love I love church, I love the, the traditions, I love the, the 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 a lot of the rituals that we have, you know. Again, some of them can get stale if we if we let them get that way in our head, but sometimes the like, okay, this is the time when we worship, this is the time when we do offering announcements, introduce speaker, person speaks, we can forget that the Lord is just as present through every single one of those things, that he's doing something, that he's here. And so I just want to take a moment as before we dive in here, and I just want to exercise a heart of worship. And what that looks like for me is I just want to pull on heaven, I just want to start praying, I just want to invite his presence. So just put something on your lips, whether it's thanking him, whether it's inviting his presence, whether it's saying, Lord, I love you, whatever it is, whatever is on your heart to just say, you can say it. You can say it in a quiet voice. You can say it in a moderate voice. Maybe don't say it in a voice that's going to damage your neighbor's ears. But um, just Lord, we just invite your presence. We invite your presence here today. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we love you, God. We love you, God. I love the anointing and, and the talent and the gifting that, that's upon worship teams, particularly the worship, worship team that's here. And it's a wonderful gift and it's, it's important that we honor that gift. But it's also important to remember that we are all worshipers. We are all handcrafted worshipers of his presence. And while it's wonderful to, to uh, receive from the gift that's on, on other folks' lives, it's so important to remember that we are fundamentally designed to worship our God, to invite his presence. So just keep pulling a little bit. Just keep pulling. His presence will come. His presence will continue to come and our presence will continue to grow. Just Lord, we in- align our hearts to yours. We invite your presence, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord God. Stay here, don't worry, I'm going to let you sit down in just a minute, but just keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. In In over 30 years of seeing in the Spirit and gosh, probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of worship services, I'm still to this day so impressed by the the intentionality that the angels put on every single worship service whether I'm, I'm at a church that has the, the biggest stage the fanciest lights the most talented musicians or, or a church where they plug in a CD and a 15 year old picks up a microphone that heaven is present angels are there preparing ahead of time for what the Lord is going to do, preparing ahead of time for what the children are, of God are going to do in His presence. that They put so much intentionality and purposefulness into every single time God's children gather together to worship Him. Every single time. Yes, Lord, we just pull on your presence, Lord. We align our attention to your presence, Lord. I came in here a few minutes before worship, and I saw angels stacking crowns on the, on the ground and on the stage. And they weren't just stacking them. They weren't just, you know, dumping boxes of them, you know, in big piles. They were carrying them in one at a time, holding them with great, great delicacy, and setting them down one by one in a beautiful ornate pattern, you know, it was like one of those, uh, like those, those uh, fancy parties where they stack up all the champagne glasses, you know, five feet high, five feet wide, a big pyramid of them. I've never been to one of those parties, but I've seen them on TV. <laughs> yeah. um, it was like that with these beautiful crowns on either side, are stacked in this elegant pattern, this very. Uh, even precarious pattern, very carefully, one at a time, never more than one at a time, over, over, over again. And as we entered into worship, I just felt the presence start to just start to flow, and the um, all of the uh, crowns just began to grow uh, like brighter and brighter, like they were heating up, you know, and. As they um all, all the crowns were more or less the same shape when they came in, but as the worship continued, they heated up and heated up. they all began to shift in their shape and become different styles of crowns and different different shapes, some more like a tiara, some more like a big, whatever they call the big, heavy, masculine one. Um, <laughs> and all these just all these different shapes, and even still, with the shifting of the shapes, as if they knew which one was going to shift into which shape, they still interlocked and fit just the right way as the the way they had been laid. And as we continued to worship, I just saw... um, At first, it looked like people were kind of tossing things from from the congregation forward. like I'll just let you into my brain. It looked like people were tossing Skittles. Um, (laughs) And I looked more closely, and I realized that these were jewels. And as we were worshiping, jewels were... Uh, shooting up out of our praise, and landing on our crown, and adorning them, and adding, adding dimension, adding color, adding value to it. And I was asking the Holy Spirit, um, you know, in this, what He was doing and what He wanted to do tonight. And I just felt like I heard Him say that I, I want my children to receive an inheritance tonight, receive an inheritance that belongs to them. I just heard him say I want them to receive their inheritance as worshipers. As worshipers. So I know that again we're we're transitioning into talking time a little bit, but I want I want th- just for this night tonight, I want to to exercise this muscle of maintaining a heart of worship. So I, I, I really want to encourage you, I'm going I'm to release you to sit down in just a moment if you want to, but if you feel like you need to stand, I would like you to stand. If you feel like you need to go off in the, in the corner and lay down, then go off in the corner and lay down. I just want to maintain an attitude of worship, maintain an attitude of attentiveness to his presence. And if for a moment you lose it, or if for a moment you forget it, if for a moment you, you set it down somewhere, that's okay. Take a moment and go back and find where you set it down. Does that, does that make sense? Right, you're welcome to to sit down if you'd like, or st- continue standing, or whatever, whatever works for you. L- like I said, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I uh, and I was a missionary kid. We lived in Russia for uh, three and a half years when when I was little, and in uh, Finland for just under a year, and. Um, so my parents were always involved in ministry. I was always going to church. I saw, um, saw lots of miracles, even from a young age. I'd uh, see people get healed of things, even when we didn't believe in healing. <laughs> we uh, were in Russia, and the people, we'd you know, be baptizing people who had newly accepted Jesus, and they'd just get healed of stuff. It's like, whoops. You know. <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't believe in tongues at the time, too. We'd baptize these people who had never once heard the gospel. And say they'd come out speaking in tongues. It's like, ah, do we cast it out? What's going on? I don't know if this is this okay. Is this not okay? <laughs> no one told them to do it. They just started doing it. <laughs> this is a funny, real quick side note diversion. Uh, my oldest son, Hayden, he's eight, and he um, he's going. Um, my dad does a lot of the maintenance at our at our church, and so uh, Hayden wanted to earn some extra money, and so he went to went to go work with Pop Pop, and so so. So my dad is a very uh, hands-on kind of guy, and so uh, he's changing the light bulbs in the on the high part of the uh, the sanctuary with a big uh, scissor lift. goes up, you know, really high, and so he took Hayden to go real high on the scissor lift, you know, to change out these light bulbs. And um, Hayden uh, has not really experienced heights in that particular way before, and so he's feeling a little bit a little bit scared as they're going up, you know, super super high on this lift. And you know, say, hey, pop up, I'm feeling a little bit scared. And he's like, oh, it's okay, buddy. You know, we're, we can lower it down if you want to. And without my dad telling him, without us even, you know, thus far having an explicit conversation about this subject, um, Hayden just started speaking in tongues. Just started speaking in tongues as he was standing there. I don't, you know, obviously he's seen me do it. He's seen it happen in our church, but no one's ever, I, I haven't actually just haven't had that conversation with him yet. He just started speaking in tongues for about 20 minutes while he was, up there, the whole time they were, he was up there, and he came down, and he stopped, and uh, he said, Papa, when I was when I was doing that thing, I felt way better. I didn't feel I didn't feel scared at all." <laughs> That's is sweet. Um, anyway, so so anyway, like I said, you know, I've been in church my 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 whole life, and I um and I remember, you know, as I was getting a little bit older and kind of learning how to how to really take on a relationship with God for myself, you know, that that I, I believed in God, I, I, you know, always had, but learning how to not have that be something that just was something that my parents did, but something that really took on myself. And so, in my early teen years, I'd go, you know, with my youth group to youth conferences and things like that, and I started noting this, noticing this pattern. Maybe you've experienced this pattern as well, but, I I noticed this pattern where I'd go to a conference I'd I would feel, you know, more excited about God, more passionate, you know, ready to you know to do this, to do that, to to really, you know, just go after God, to to lay everything down to to sell all I had, which was, you know, nothing at that point. Um and follow him. <laughs> sell my Nintendo and follow you, you know. Um and I um uh and I, and I would feel that way, you know, when I got home for one day, two days, three days, a little bit less on the fourth day, you know, kind of forget about it on the fifth day. And then in a week or two, I I'd felt more or less back where I was. Anyone ever had that experience? So that happened three times in a row um, at these conferences. And I remember there was one particular conference we went to that I, I remember just really feeling lit up, really feeling passionate, really feeling excited. And for two weeks afterwards, I really felt that, that, that zeal, that, that desire to just pursue God. And then again, I felt it fade. And this time I kind of noticed it as it was fading. You know, I noticed this is, this is not sticking around, this feeling, this passion, this drive to pursue what God has. I can feel it leaving. And so, uh, the next year when we went back to the same conference, I decided to conduct a little experiment. Um, I, I went to the conference and it was, uh, it was a really interesting case because for whatever reason they, they had the exact same speakers as they had the year before and I think, gosh, 95% of the speakers um, shared the exact same message that they had the previous year, <laughs> so it was not new information, not new content, but still, the worship was really good and the, the messages, even though I was hearing them for the second time, I could really just feel the, the invitation to, to pursue more of God. And I felt that, you know, just ignite in me again, despite the fact that it was the second time. And I came home and I thought about the way that I felt coming home. And a th- very simple thought occurred to me that I just hadn't considered before which was, what if, what if I decided to take care of this? So that, was, that was it. What if I decided to take care of this? What if I decided that any time this started to go away, I stopped and thought, wait a second, I set something down. Where did I set that down? And I backed up until I found that thing and picked it up again. And you know, there wasn't any special magic to it. There wasn't any crazy encounter that came out of that. But from that day forward, I feel like I have always been able to find that presence, that peace, that, that connection to the driving force of God's intention and purpose for my life. Does that, does that make sense? And I want to, I like especially sharing the part where it was the same conference with the same speakers again because I feel like what the Lord has for tonight is, I may have even said this the opposite way earlier in the talk, but I think that he has something that isn't special for you. (laughs) I feel like he has something that that is stock standard in your relationship with him. I feel like he has something for you tonight that just belongs to you. Does that make sense? And it's your inheritance as a worshiper. Your inheritance as someone who is designed to have connection with him. So one more time, this time staying seated where you're at. Just pull on heaven a little bit more. Close your eyes for a second. Just pull on heaven a little bit more. Lord, we invite your presence. Lord, we invite your presence. We make our hearts subject to your presence. Oh, it's so vitally important that we as Christians uh, place ourselves in a community of people who are going to challenge us, who are going to push us, who are going to call us higher. It's so important, but also it's so important to remember and to be able to burn alone, to be able to recognize that I can pull on His presence. We're not designed to be alone, we're not designed to be outside of community, but we are designed to be able to reach out and pull His presence without any music, without a group of passionate people praying around us. That right has been bought and paid for. So we invite your presence, Lord. We invite your presence, Lord. We invite your voice. I've been part of the uh, School of Ministry and the church in Atlanta for about eleven years now. Um, before I went out there, though, I did three years of the School of Ministry in Reading. And at the end of my second year uh, was when all the plans for Bethel Atlanta were starting to come together. And so, as uh, the uh, people who were going to be the senior leaders, Stephen Lindy Hale, moved back to Atlanta where they're originally from to get to get the beginning parts of the church started, and. April and I, uh, we weren't married yet, but we were um, dating and moving, moving towards marriage. And we really felt like we were supposed to finish our third year of school out there before we went out and became part of the, the church starting. And so, we went into our third year uh, of school, knowing that we were going to be going to Atlanta afterwards. Now, that was kind of an unusual sp- experience for me. I was, again, I was a missionary kid, used to being, very uh, a bit of an interloper. You know, traveling from place to place up into that point and for a while afterwards I had never lived in one city for more than three years in my entire life and never in one house for more than two at that at that point and so I was used to just kind of going with the flow of the Lord just suddenly said to go this way you know go this way never really having a plan that was much longer than a year or six months or something like that and it was the first time for a whole year I already knew what the plan was you know afterwards and so that was an interesting experience um so one day when I was walking home from uh uh from going to the store or something, I was going to my uh, apartment and um, the uh my apartment there was you know not in the most fancy part of town and it wasn't the most fancy apartment, but uh but it was it was okay. And so we had this little parking lot in the back, there's a little four-car parking lot, and I was walking uh to go inside, and I felt this urge to wait. I turned around from my door, looked at our inexpensive-looking small parking lot. (laughs) That's the polite way of saying it. Um, And all of a sudden, this thick oak table fell out of the sky and landed in front of me. I thought, all right. And out of nowhere, four oak chairs pulled up to the side of this table. And on this table was the most decadent feast I'd ever seen in my entire life. Just piles and piles and piles of food. Big, big whole turkeys and all kinds of you know, food going on. There were three chair- chairs on each side and one chair at the head. And I saw three uh, angels come on each side that each were wearing badges of honor on almost every part that looked like, you know, these generals that had, you know, all these different badges going on. They all sat at the table. Then I saw a bright light and a tall figure walk at the head of the table and I immediately knew that it was the Lord. And he was, uh, and so I just kind of looked down, because what else do you do? <laughs> 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 and He stood there for a moment and he said, Sit. So I looked back and I saw a chair sitting next to me, uh, behind me rather. Now I'm, again, seeing in the spirit the majority of my life, I'm very aware that what I'm seeing is an open vision and very aware that based on most of my experience, if I sit down, I'm going to fall (laughs) straight through this chair and fall down. (laughs) But I'm having one of those moments of like, Is this, uh, you should have struck the ground, you know, eight or nine times kind (laughs) of moment of like, just throw yourself back into this chair and the Lord will catch you kind of thing? Or is this more of a metaphorical sit down? I'm having this argument in my head, realizing it's taking way too long. And uh, uh, I settled on a kind of like squat like this. That was where my faith was at at that moment. Um, I did that and, I, and then everyone else you know, sat down at that point. And, i My eyes kind of slowly creeped up a little bit at a time as uh, the Lord was speaking to me, and when I got to his face his his face was so bright it was there was so much light coming from there that I couldn't see anything it was really just this this smear of light and that was that was it um, and I thought, oh, you know, that makes sense you know that's, that's how that would work and um but then as I focused on that light, uh, just for the briefest moment, the briefest moment, it felt like my eyes just started to adjust to the light. And I just began to see the, the barest outline of features. And that scared me, and so I looked back down. And so Lord paused what he was saying and, sa- and laughed, and said, why won't you look at me? And I had about 14,000 answers go through my head. (laughs) None of which were particularly good. So I went with, uh, I don't know. (laughs) And then he said, stand up. I said, thank goodness. Um, (laughs) And I stood up and uh, the angel to my right stood up and put his hand on my shoulder and when he did, this whole arm caught on fire, um, and it was this uh, like this, and it was this uh, blue fire. But it wasn't the normal blue that fire is. It was this kind of bright crystalline blue. Um, and then I heard the Lord say, "This one is for declaring my goodness." The angel to my left stood up and touched this shoulder, and this arm caught on fire, and this one was red. Um, But it wasn't the normal red that fire is. It was like a crimson kind of, kind of red, this dark crimson sort of red. And he said, this one is for destroying the works of the enemy. And then a thought popped in my head of I'm I'm right-handed. And then the Lord said, you'll use one more than the other. And then he said, now go and declare my goodness in Atlanta. And with that, he stepped backwards and vanished the angels disappeared, and the table went up. So then I went inside and laid on the couch. Because, <laughs> again, what else do you do? <laughs> so, I, you know, so some of these times when these things happen, I don't exactly know what to do with it, so I just thought, well, that's cool, and went to Atlanta. And got, got a few years into uh, starting the church and the school there, and things were, things were going really, really well. And... Um, then out of the blue, so I, I had this. Out of the blue, I had this dream one night. Now, I um, I used to say that I hardly ever dream, but all the dream people said, no, no, "No, you just don't remember your dreams." So, so apparently, I dream all the time. I just don't remember my dreams, <laughs> um, and I almost never do. I may maybe once a year, maybe twice a year. Usually, every other year or so, I have a dream that I remember at all. Um, uh, but this particular night, I had a dream that I remembered extremely vividly, Pro- probably more vividly than any dream that I can think of. Um, I was in in this dream. I was in downtown Atlanta, and they had removed a skyscraper, and so it, it looked like they had just finished kind of removing this whole skyscraper. And you know, as some of you know when they build those big skyscrapers, they actually go down into the ground a little bit, you know, to. Can't just sit it on top there; it'd probably fall over. Um, uh, and so it was uh, down into the ground. They had dug up the foundation and everything, and they were about to lay a new foundation, start construction on a brand new building. Um, and in this dream, for whatever reason, I was a little kid, and my dad was sitting next to me, and we were in hard hats, and we had our tin lunch boxes, and we were eating sandwiches, uh, uh, and we're sitting on like a metal girder, you know, overlooking this huge, you know, construction progr- process. And so I was just sitting there eating my sandwich, and you know, my dad was just talking to me about um, about this building, about why the old building had to be removed, about why the foundation had to be removed, and about the new foundation, and about all the new steel beams that he was putting in, and how you know what this was going to look like, and how awesome this was going to be. So he's talking about all that in this dream, and then I look up and I look at the person sitting next to me. And it's, I had the weirdest moment where I know that this is my dad, but he doesn't look like my dad at all. I'm like, that's weird. Like, I, just have the, I have the absolute feeling of my dad is sitting next to me, but you don't look like my dad in any way. And this, is, this is weird. And he, he kind of pauses it when he realizes that I'm staring at him, and kind of turns his head a little bit and smiles. And immediately, I realize that it's God And I'm seeing him super clearly. And so this terrifies me so much that I wake up. (laughs) And I sit up immediately in bed, boom, just immediately awake out of the dream. And and then I just heard this voice say again, why won't you look at me? And I said, I I don't know. (laughs) And so... uh, a couple of gosh, it was two or three weeks later, I was I was at a service at our church, Bethel Atlanta. Um one of our I, I when I first moved out there I uh did a lot of the audiovisual uh stuff and so I hadn't been doing it for a couple years, but the guy who was gonna do it had called out sick, and so I came out of retirement to uh <laughs> you know, save the day. And so got there early for setup and everything and um and at that time, our uh, media room was like a separate room and we did everything in that room. And so I was you know, in there getting everything set up. And um, I, uh, I think I've shared a more detailed version of this story. I want to get to kind of the main crux of it. But we, um, our, our senior leader was speaking, Steve, and he he was talking about worship. He was talking about the value of worship. He was talking about how, you know, um, and I'll, I'll share this testimony just because it fits in this where we're going. I. I love our 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 pastor Steve because he um he's not a re- worship leader in the traditional sense uh, whatsoever. Um, I said that a little bit more uh, intensely than maybe I should have, <laughs> but he uh, he can sing just fine, um, you know. And uh, but he's you know he doesn't really play any instruments that I know of. He's not you know not a not a he uh, uh, doesn't have a modern style of of singing necessarily. I'm just digging this hole deeper. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Steve, if you're watching this stream. Um, but uh, he has this wonderful heart for worship, and he has a wonderful testimony about worship. That I, I may have shared it here before, but I, I love this one so much because he was um, part, of, part of a church before he you know, got involved with, with Bethel, and um, it was a really awesome church, but some of their worship and their expression of worship was a little bit you know, uh, reserved. And one day when he was in worship, the Hol- Holy Spirit told him, go up to the front and raise your hands. And... That was not a normal thing at all, and if you know Steve's personality, he's like, I don't want to be that guy, you know, I don't want to be up front, like, ooh, look at me, I'm so passionate, you know. Um, and, but the Holy Spirit didn't, didn't change the subject, he said, I'd go do it. And so, after, you know, losing the argument, he, you know, got up and walked to the front and just raised his hands. And no one else got up, no one else went to the front, no one else raised their hands, and I think, if I remember correctly, I might be missing some of the details, but it was a couple weeks went by. he was the only one up front. And then one person came up a few weeks later, and then another person a few weeks after that. And when, when he was going to start Bethel Atlanta, he was being sent from that church, and it was the last Sunday that he was going to be there and part of that church. The Lord kind of lifted his eyes and said, look around during worship. And there was a whole crowd of people that were up at the front, raising their hands, going for it in worship. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I butchered the story a little bit. Um, the, at the beginning, when the Lord told him to go up to the front, he started arguing. He said, the things the Lord said to answer him, said, lead worship. Wow. And Steve said, I'm not a worship leader. He said, go up to the front and raise your hands. And so that last day when he was standing up front and everyone else was up front as well, the Lord said, I told you, you were a worship leader. And so he was talking about that story and he was talking about just having a heart of worship and, and recognizing that we, we are every single person in the room, every single child of God that is in the room when we're worshiping is carrying us all forward into his presence, is carrying us all further into his presence and uh, whether it was impromptu or whether it was something he had planned he invited the worship team up one more time to play one more song and asked everyone to come up to the front and just worship one more time and so we all did and as the presence of God entered the room really thickly there was a this you know this thick cloud and it was you know worship has this momentum and it felt like the end of worship uh, the the height of where worship had been during the uh, service is where it started at this end part. Everyone just entered in right away, and it was beautiful. So I was excited to see what was going to happen during our second service. We um, did our second service, and again, Steve spoke about worship. Again, Steve invited everyone up to the front uh, at the end to sing one more time. And again, it felt like that that group of people, you know, started where the last group had ended, that it was even higher, it was even deeper, and just the presence of God entered the room right away. And once I got the that my stuff set up i popped out you know of the little closet there just to um to just to look and see what was going on and this white cloud came into the room and just the presence of god was, was filling that place so much and as i was just feeling his presence come more and more i looked up and was utterly shocked when i saw the face of god emerge from the back wall behind the stage and enter the room as clear and as crisp as any person's face in this room. And it was so sudden, so clear, and so, I I knew exactly what it was, so distinctly that I screamed and ran back into the room and slammed the door shut. (laughs) (laughs) And as I was in there, I had a rapid fire argument with myself that went something like, you should go out there, no you should not. Do you know what that was? No, you don't. (laughs) You know exactly what it was. No, it couldn't be that. (sighs) Back and forth about a billion miles an hour with three other voices arguing in there. And just back and forth, like, I didn't see that. Yes, you did. Back and forth, back and forth. You should go out there. No, you shouldn't. And finally, you know, I didn't really get any clarity, but just kind of hobbled the door open and, you know, walked out. And there it was again. So I looked back down to the ground. But then I deeply and painfully regretted every single moment that I was looking down, so I looked up, but then I couldn't look, so I looked down and up and down and back and forth. And again, I'm glad I was in the back because I probably looked like a crazy person. And finally, I just locked looking at the ground uh, because I I just couldn't look. And everything in me is regretting every single millisecond. that I'm not looking, everything in me is screaming to look back up, but there's, there's just this block there of you're not supposed to see this, you can't see this. And as I'm having this argument back and forth and a million miles an hour into my head, I hear the voice of God more loudly and clearly than I've ever heard it in my entire life. And it, it, it it's so heavy that it literally pushes every thought that I was having out of my head and as clear and loud as i've ever heard him he said who told you that you should ever hide your face from mine and the second he said that i flash back to a memory i must have been three three or four years old i was in our, our ver- the very first church that i remember as a little kid it was in a high school we were in a gymnasium with little uh dividers for all the kids classes and I remember the I, I I remembered the felt board that was up with you know uh the manger and Mary and the the Even star you know felt boards. It was like PowerPoint but uh with fabric <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway uh, and I'm in the third row. There's a girl in the front left who raises her hand and asks the teacher a question. I remember back then it seemed like the teacher was, you know, 100 years old. Uh, In retrospect, she was probably 19. But (laughs) she, the girl raises her hand and says, but teacher, why can't we see God? And the girl who was teaching just paused for a moment and said, oh, you know, honey, God is just so, so big. So he's so powerful that if any of us saw him, we would, we would just die. And so immediately after that, I flashed back to, to the moment I was in. And um, even though it didn't answer all the questions that were flooding around in my mind, even though it didn't satisfy all of the, all of the theological uh, things that were popping up in me, I realized in that moment that the first time that I heard that I could not see God, it wasn't Him that told me, it was, it was a person, and so with that little sliver of permission, I lifted my eyes and stared full into his face. And it's it's been several years at this point, and I've shared this story dozens of times, but still I, I don't have the words to describe the, the way that he looked. I was surprised that, that he had features it wasn't just a generic face it wasn't it wasn't just kind of a blank slate sort of face it had he had it had, he had features he had character it had personality you know how sometimes maybe you've heard someone's voice on the radio for a long time and you actually you know find after maybe for years even and then you finally see a picture of them and you're like wow that doesn't look anything like i expected you ever have that before this is a This is a cheesy way to describe it, but it's the best I can do. Seeing his face was like the absolute opposite of that feeling of, man, you look exactly like you feel when I feel your presence. (laughs) You look exactly like the nature that I've heard about, that I've heard taught, that I've heard spoken of. You look exactly the way that you sound. You look exactly... The way that you feel he he looked around fr- from person to person one at a time again I, I don't know how to describe this properly but he stopped for the exact right amount of time at each person not sta- not lingering too long not not moving on too quickly one person at a time looking at every single person in the room again his his, his face was huge his, the top of his head was touching the ceiling the bottom of his chin was touching the floor and everyone was gathered up to the front and he, he as everyone was there, he leaned forward and rubbed his face on everyone that was worshipping, like he was rubbing his face on a warm blanket. He he leaned forward and he breathed in above each person the same way that I've caught myself doing when I'm holding a, one of my children, just breathing in their smell, their essence, the this that that love and presence. And so I looked for every millisecond that was left as the song continued, and as worship came to an end, uh, his face kind of drifted back from the room, and I went back into the closet, shut the door, and cried for 20 minutes. And so typically, when I've had experiences like that or or experiences that are especially um, impactful or things like that, some of the stories that are in my books. I, I, some of those stories I didn't tell to a single human soul for years. For The story that's the, at the end of my first book about um, seeing, seeing Jesus when someone was uh, saved, I didn't tell a single person about that for seven years. Just didn't think about it for a while. <laughs> 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 um, and so after having this experience, I, might, I just need to keep talking to the Lord about this because I still don't know what, what that was about. Um, so, it was, I was very surprised when we came to our uh, School of ministry, ministry retreat. We do a retreat at the beginning of every uh, school year for our students, just to really kind of kick off the year. And I was uh, completely stunned when it was my night to speak, and I was talking with the Lord about what he wanted to do, and I heard him say, I want you to tell that story. And I played dumb at first said, what story? <laughs> I knew exactly which story he was talking about. <laughs> also, playing dumb with the Lord doesn't really work very well. <laughs> he knows how smart you are, <laughs> and you know he didn't answer. So uh, I said, I, I, "Lord, I can't. I can't tell that story." And he said, "Yes, you can." I said, "I did not even know if that was okay. I don't know if that was theologically correct. I haven't had time to think about that. I can't share that story, especially with a bunch of first-year students. You know, I. This is our first week. I can't just, you know." do that and he said you you can because i told you to and so i'm rapidly losing this argument and uh the time for me to speak is getting closer and closer really you know one two songs away and fi- i say okay fine i'll tell the story but you got to give me something you got to give me something you got to give me a scripture anything and so then he took me to exodus and you can just jot down the, the address and check it out later but exodus 33 I'm looking at this. It's one one of my favorite portions of Scripture. It's Moses and, and the Lord just kind of talking, hashing out their relationship, hashing out his relationship between the Israelites and himself. Just this beautiful, beautiful time. And I'm you know just kind of cruising through this story, and I get to um, uh, Exodus 33:18. And Moses said, "Now show me your glory." And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And I said, yeah. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. I can't tell this story that, that, that completely counteracts what I experienced. You know what? I can't share that story. And in the middle of my uh, complaining, he said, <laughs> turn to Galatians uh, 2.20. I flipped over to Galatians 2.20, and immediately my eyes snapped to the words, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And as I heard those words, and it felt like every single one was like a hammer to my heart. This thought, this, this series of thoughts snapped together, one right after in my mind. Where that experience that i had was not an exception to to a rule to a boundary to a, a limitation that god had expressed it wasn't this an a, a, a exception this wasn't a diversion that that he that the lord had actually fulfilled that stipulation in his design for salvation for humanity that part of salvation would be taking on the crucifixion of jesus receiving death in jesus so that we could be born again born new that that would actually be a fundamental part of his plan for salvation as that thought ran through my mind i immediately just snapped back to 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 the beginning to to the fall of man to to the point of disconnection i went back to that story and read through it and again we don't uh, you can again it's really good to go through and uh Follow this story yourself, and I encourage you to do so. But I, I went back, and I, if you read the story in sequence, and, and, and again, in, in the middle of this experience that I was having, it took on new meaning. I, I looked, and I saw um, Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. They feel ashamed. They put on clothes. And then what happened right after that? And Then they heard the Lord God coming to walk in the cool of the day, and something occurred to me that has hadn't occurred to me before. God probably knew what they did. Right? Being that he's all-knowing, he probably, that was probably one of the things that he knew. Um, and so God's first response to original sin was an act of intimacy, which was I'm showing up to go and walk with you in the cool of the day. It actually says that, and then Adam and Eve hid. It was man who hid from God, not God who hid from man. When original sin occurred, God showed up to go for a walk and talk about it. And yes, there was a violation that had occurred, and yes, there were boundaries that had to be put up because of that violation because a relationship that doesn't have boundaries is a relationship that doesn't have meaning but his first response was an act of intimacy and as i had this running through my head i flipped over to the book of matthew to the moment that jesus died and i and i am going through the sequence and it comes to the point Jesus dies and then it says, and then immediately there was an earthquake and the veil was torn. Now this veil, just a quick historical context, was a curtain in the temple between the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, and the rest of the temple. This is a sacred part of the temple where, uh, where, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was say to, said to be where, where God's presence rested. And priests would would only go on this, as I understand it, only even enter this place once a year. That it was very, very sacred. And even, again it was believed that if you just waltzed in there, that you would you would drop dead just because you couldn't be in God's presence that way. In fact, they even tied um, pomegranates that were used like bells to the bottom of these priests' robes to see if they stopped moving while they were in there. Got to be prepared for everything. Um, and. It was this picture of the separation, of, of the holiness, of the, of the, the unattainability of, of God. And the moment that Jesus died, that veil tore from top to bottom. And again, in this context, in this, in this moment, I, a thought occurred to me that I hadn't had before. That it honestly doesn't really make that much sense the veil to be torn at that exact moment like we know the further context of the story why 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 wouldn't why would the veil be torn then and not when jesus rose from the dead when he ascended into heaven when when the whole when the disciples received the holy spirit like why why was it that moment the only picture that could come to my mind was one of a father who was pressing against the division between himself and his people Waiting for the moment that, that 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 violation had been resolved and fulfilled, waiting for the very moment that he could burst forth and be present with his people again, the way that he had always intended from the beginning. That he uh, was looking at the timeline of his plan for salvation, saying, Yep, that's good enough. <laughs> Your inheritance as a worshiper is that God paid a price for the right to be present with you, for the right so that you would have the right to be present with him, that you could truly go boldly before the throne of grace, that you could not just be servants but be called friends, that you could be truly adopted into the kingdom of heaven, adopted into the family. I don't, I don't hate very many things. It's just not really in my nature. It's not my personality to, f- to feel that vehemently against things. But one thing that I do hate is when I see any of God's children getting less than what Jesus paid for in their lives. When I see people who know God, people who have received Jesus in their lives, getting less than what he paid for in their lives. And so I feel like today that the Lord just wants to invite you guys to receive your identity, your inheritance, your right as worship leaders, as people who have access to God's presence. This isn't just a, a good feeling when we're in worship. This isn't just a feeling of peace in, in times of, of turmoil. This is access to the King of Kings. This is access to the to the input, to the voice, to the comfort, to the direction, to the confirmation, to the security of having the king of the universe interested in your life, attentive in your life. Not just a a you know genie that you can rub a magic lamp and and get three wishes, that you can just get requests fulfilled, but a true good father who can be present who can trust you who can who can who can teach you how to fish rather than just give you a fish who can who would never be overbearing or or domineering that actually seeks to create mature sons and daughters sometimes when we think of the voice of god of the presence of god being available at all times that that means we just have to close our eyes and just be in, you know, worship and reverence the whole time, or what we think of as worship and reverence all the time, or that we think of, like, pray without ceasing as, like, I'm just, you know, sitting here praying in tongues 24-7, or I'm praying for my grandma and her cousin and her uncle's cousin and her brother's sister's best friend's daughter's dog, and, you know, all over and over, you know, it's like, I'm running out of relatives, how do I pray without ceasing? Um, uh... I feel like the invitation today is to begin to explore with the Father what His presence looks like in areas of your life that you have yet to see it manifest. Sometimes when we think of, well, does that mean that I'm just at work speaking in tongues at the, at the top of my lungs? I hope not. <laughs> um. <laughs> Would you like fries with that? <laughs> What size drink no. <laughs> sorry sketch <laughs> comedy just went through my head anyway um so sometimes when we have those kinds of pictures of like what well, does that mean i just you know stand and pray all the time or, or whatever else it's because we simply have yet to see what the manifest presence of God looks like in those areas of our life, and I believe that we are coming into a season we 're coming into a time where we will see God's presence manifest in our lives in areas and in ways that we have not even imagined yet. There is no place on this planet that he is not ready to touch, that he is not ready to release his presence. We're going to talk about this more later in the weekend. but. He wants to reveal to us what His glory looks like in the business realm. He wants to reveal to us what His glory looks like in education, what His glory looks like at a a retail store, what His glory looks like in art, in music, in literature, in every single layer, corner, and angle of society. And if the manifest presence of God in any one of those areas looks, looks boring, unproductive, or or unfulfilling. That's simply because we have not seen what it looks like yet. That's simply because we haven't seen what it looks like yet. So I want to end tonight this way. I want you guys to stand up one more time. I believe in impartation. I believe in the laying on of hands. I believe in, on, in honoring the gift that's on, that God's placed on people's lives and receiving that are ourselves. But today, I, I feel like the impartation that the Lord has is, as I said, one of inheritance. And sometimes with certain ways that the Lord wants to release what He's doing, Part of the impartation is recognizing that we have the right to grab it and take it on as our own. Recognizing, for lack of a better term, that we have the right to walk into the kitchen, open up the refrigerator and grab something on the shelf without looking over our shoulder, without, without feeling like we might be violating something. And I feel like this particular impartation is that: is This is recognizing this belongs to me and I'm allowed to take it. Um, as I mentioned at the at the beginning, I saw um, crowns being laid on on. They're they're mainly on these sides of the stage, to the front and up, up on top. And there's a crown for every single person in this room, and there's a crown that's been uniquely designed for every single person in this room, and it represents your your inheritance as a worshiper. And again, when I say that word worshipper, we can that's not you being on on stage and playing music. That's not even necessarily what we do standing in this room and singing songs together. It is a lifestyle. It is a right to receive the presence of God. It is a right. It is it is the manifestation of a veil that was torn as the plan as as heaven's plan for restoration came to fruition. It is a manifestation of the same God who went at, the, at the moment of original sin showed up in an act of intimacy, showed up to go and walk with us in the cool of the day. So what I want you to do for the end here is... is is pray for you for just a moment but then whenever you feel led at whatever point i would love for you just as a prophetic act there's no magic in this there's no there's no you know uh trick to this but just as an act of faith when you feel the lord leading you just walk up pick up that crown, and put it on your head it's just a physical act of obedience to partner with what the lord is is doing and you, can, you can do it now. You can do it a little bit later as we worship. But it, um, <laughs> perfect. It, and I just want to, I'll just pray for you guys real quick. And then we'll just go into some worship and just, just hang here as long as you need to. Lord, I just thank you so much that you have crossed the uncrossable gap that there was separation, that there was a distance, there was violation, that we could not possibly repair, that we could not possibly fix, that we could not possibly reach across, no matter what achievement, no matter what we could do, but that you chose to cross it, you chose to come in close, you chose to tore the veil, you chose to pay for your right to be present present with us and to pay for our right to be present with you and you decided to pay the highest price that you possibly could. I just release our identity as worshipers into this place that we would begin to see how to worship as business leaders that we would be begin to see how to worship as employees, That we'd be able to begin to see how to worship as sons, as daughters, as teachers, as fathers, as mothers, as children, as, as wherever we are at in life, wherever our sphere of influence looks like, whatever our friend group looks like, no matter where we are feeling successful or where we are feeling like failures, that wherever we are, we are called to be worship leaders. ways so outside his time, who, who had an intimacy of boldness with the Lord that, that seemed outside his time, that seemed um, so, some of some of the stories of his life and the intimacy that he had with the Lord and the, the boldness that he showed with him almost seemed like they belong in the New Testament. Despite the fact that David made some very, very poor choices at, at, at points in his life, one facet that shines out that causes him to stand out from so many of the other, other leaders, other heroes in the scripture is before David was a king, before he was a war hero, before he was a champion, when he was a shepherd boy, David was a worshiper. He would play alone in the field with the sheep and play and write songs. He didn't know that they'd be recorded in a book that would last for thousands of years. He didn't know that they would, we would be singing them to this day. He wrote them alone in a field with sheep because he loved the Lord and David was a worshiper. And that is why when David heard the accusations that Goliath was throwing at the children of Israel, he could hear what God was saying because David was a worshiper. That is why when David was being chased by Saul, when he was being accused, when he was being attacked, that he could endure, that he could raise up leaders around him, that he could that he could walk with honor in the midst of dishonor. It's because David was a worship leader. That's why when he made bad choices, when he had a man killed, when he when he was unfaithful with another man's wife he could come back and be corrected by the Lord and still be marked as a man as after God's own heart and still be repeatedly noted as the direct lineage of Jesus. Because even at his lowest point, David was a worshiper. And Being a worshiper isn't isn't being Mr. Positivity all the time. It isn't being perfect all the time. It is recognizing that the Lord has invited us in. So I just release our identity as worshipers. I release our identity as worshipers. This is who we are. I just want to break off any lies that the enemy is trying to throw out there that, oh, I just don't hear God. Oh, I just don't. Uh, yeah, I just don't experience God the way other people do. I just don't, you know, I just don't, you know, that's okay, I just don't do it that way. You don't need to worship God the way that other people do. You don't need to hear God the same way that other people do, but you have the exact same amount of access to God as any other human being on this planet. It doesn't have to look to look the same. But it it can look just as intimate, just as close, just as personal, and just as real. So I just break off the lie that I don't hear God well. You are fundamentally designed for relationship with God. You are fundamentally, from top to bottom, designed to have relationship with God. Uh, But I just have a really analytical mind. And you are designed fundamentally designed to have an analytical relationship with God. That he will both meet you where you're at and also challenge your perspective at the same time. You are designed to have a relationship with God. Uh, But I can't sing. I don't know how to dance. I'm not really comfortable moving around. It doesn't matter. You are designed to worship God. You are designed to Take some time, worship Him, and as you feel that invitation, just step, walk up to the front, just take on that identity, take on that truth, take on that marker of who God's created you to be.
1: Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service, and you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus or you've known about him but been far from him we want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day. And help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.